Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to this very special episode of the Eastern Border. But today is the second anniversary since the death of my grandmother, uh, from my father's side. So I will just, you know, be retelling the stories what she told me, and uh, my other grandma, from my mom's side too, she had way less, because I knew her for way less. She died when I was uh, about 18. I think it's kind of important, because after all, after everything that I do here, this is still a people's history. Of the Soviet Union and um, I just want those some stories not to get lost in the meantime I want some stories to live and prosper and just to be told so that so that the real history the one that people actually lived gets out there so this time you're gonna have a studies from a Soviet surgeon well not exactly see my grandmother Miriam Andreson she wanted to be a surgeon all the time but um as her dad was a Lutheran pastor. You've heard of him in all of my previous episodes. Uh, she managed to like get into university only because of her extremely high grades in high school. She could have like gotten a gold medal, but you know, back then we had a re- we had a system of for like uh, reviewing what what's been done and evaluating of since like from one to five, and where five was the best grade, and she had fives everywhere. Except Marxist ideology, because for obvious reasons, because uh, she comes from the family part, which almost was exiled and stuff like that. So yeah, she was a surgeon, she was a tough person, and she never even knew or understood what this podcast was all about. She never like knew about how many listeners do I have or anything like that. She just knew that I, you know, I'm, I'm doing something useful and someone listens to it, and she was extremely surprised that people actually do care that people are interested into this stuff. So today's episode is going to be about her. See, she was born in the 1920s. And that was a kind of tumultuous time all in itself, with just people coming back from from the independence war that we had. We looked at it in the London episodes. And then the 30s came when she grew up. And then, you know... 
the, the World War II happened on the very final years of her high school. And then, as I looked at her, like, papers from everything, you know, I have some from their church and stuff, but I looked at the photographs there, and she used to tell me that, hey, you know, when I look at the picture of my classmates, you can see a bunch of them, you know, just being sent out by Stalin to gulags to die. That's a sad story for, you know, for a 12-year-old kid to be told when when your grandmother is, is showing you the pictures of her youth uh, and the pictures contain like, oh, this classmate died in the gulag, this classmate died in the gulag, oh no, this one, no, this one died in Salaspil's concentration camp, he was killed by Nazis. But next to him, he also died in a gulag. The times were like that. The times were dreadful and evil. So people kind of endured. One of the first stories that I remember about her is how she was like in university on the very last few years of the World War II, which I'm going to get to, obviously. But um, that was after after my my uh, grand grandfather, after whom I've named, was um, was warned about you know the uh, deportation facts like very late on. So in 1945, my grandma was uh, studying in the university, and uh, together with her, together with her cursemate, they just you know they they had to learn anatomy. So what did they do? They just you know used every chance they got. So uh, <laughs> and this is one for the drinking game Einars uh, presented. <clears throat> it's gonna get really really weird. Take that. Anyhow. Uh, those guys basically, uh, they saw a body just floating down Daugava. So what would the normal person do? The normal person, you know, would just let him flow. But um, as my grandma really wanted to be a surgeon at the point, she and her uh, best friend, they just decided, you know, well, it's a dead body. Unknown, unknown nationality, unknown whatever. So they just took him. They cut him to pieces, studied anatomy, and they buried him with full Christian honors, the best that they could, because it's still better than a body floating down the river, isn't it? It's kind of weird when you think about it, because um, my grandmother, she was a very faithful woman. She always believed in God and was a much more dedicated and devout Lutheran. When, when uh, some people, like, came to our doorstep and I don't want I don't want to say anything bad about like Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whatever but she was like really really seriously convicted in her Lutheran beliefs so when they uh, wanted to discuss religion with her she would invite them in and actually argue theology with them the problem being is that when she found out that you know some tenets of theology wouldn't agree with them and they would refuse to yield, she would pick up her crutches because she couldn't walk straight by the time that this happened. It was like already in in mid to, mid 2000s. She would just basically pick up her crutch and beat people up with it. You know, just use it as a stick. That is why she always also told me to be the warrior. Because she was one. She wanted to be a surgeon. A surgeon. She was a daughter of a um, of a pastor. That was hard in the Soviet era. Then she actually, you know, managed to get into the medical university and graduate with honors. Her first job, as she told me, was to basically go to this small town, middle of nowhere. And that back then, when she was serving there, it was mid-50s. They had no cars, so in winter, uh, she remembers being dragged around by a horse-drawn carriage. 
you know, with, with the sleds and everything. And the summer, yeah, it was a real carriage. Sometimes a motorcycle. Motorcycles were important, too, because they were way more available than the cars. And her first assignment, just, you know, after um, after she finished, you know, in Latvia we call it Aspirantura, but, you know, she was lucky enough to study under Paul Stradinch. Paul Stradinch is the guy after which the Stradinch University in Latvia is named. He's, like, the, not only Latvian, but the Soviet doctor, like, super famous one, the best doctor Soviet Union had. And he truly was a genius. Uh, like, you know, it's kind of hard to pinpoint important uh, doctors, but this guy got a lot of patents for new medicines, invented new techniques of curing things, so that's what happened. And she studied right under him. After that, she taught a lot of people, so, you know, got some benefits from Blatnoy, too, when she was uh, still, you know, practicing. But her first assignment there was, like, in, win- in winter in Eisputte, which is, like I said, a middle-of-nowhere small-town stuff. And then, you know, she's um, she's studying to become a surgeon, but at that point, Soviet Union didn't really accept women to become surgeons. So she became a urologist. But she had to practice out as many other things as well. So on her first day of duty, my grandmother, Miriam, yeah, she was assigned to be, um, to accept birth, basically. So, as she told me back then, she was just, you know, flipping through her college books, because back then they didn't have a lot of internet. So, she just flipped through all the college books, and she just looks at all her things like, how do I make this kid be born alive? And she did it. Because of her old college books and everything, she actually gave, you know, managed to help a mother give birth to a healthy, nice baby who, by the way, grew up to be a doctor himself and later on performed sor- surgery on me in Ogre Hospital because, you know, I had a fractured skull. So it kind of, you know, comes together at the end. After she served her tenure at Eisputa, at this, you know, small, like, it's called Aspirantur, I suppose. After that, she was promoted to become the emergency surgeon of the Soviet Latvia. But during that time still... Even before that, uh, another important event happened. It's just that, um, I I don't know, it kind of belongs more to Astonishing Legends or Strange Matters podcasts or, you know, whatever supernatural podcasts you you might get in in Dark Myths Podcast Collective because we're a part of that and I want to promote that every every opportunity. But, um, you know, it's Soviet era. It's the 50s. They run out of, uh, they run out of anesthetics. But it's just a broken arm. I mean, it's painful, yes, but it's not like life-threatening or anything. So her her lead doctor for the operation, he just decided to, you know, use hypnosis. And as much as people kind of, you know, tend to diss hypnosis these days, it actually works. At least as far as my grandmother told me to, told me so, because literally the head chief doctor of the whole Icepot establishment just hypnotize the guy to put him into trance and to make him feel no pain make him feel asleep and then they kind of operated on his arm put it back together put it in and everything and and it worked of course it wouldn't have worked in more serious situations but back then back then yeah they my grandmother actually operated on someone who was under hypnosis so that was another one of her kind of more of a crazy stories one thing, one thing that really drove it through was that um, 
She got married to her first husband back then in Iceput. They got divorced. Vilnas Andreessons, whom I've been speaking about, whom whom I have my surname of, he's kind of my step-grandpa. My real grandpa I never knew. He was Andres Rasnais. But apparently he came from a 14-child family. He was the eldest son who inherited the farm, but managed to just drink off the farm. Anyway, uh, with him, my grandma had a son who became my dad. But that's about it. I can tell you about that side of my family, because they, they have literally never cared of me. What happened next was that with a small child in her hands and, uh, you know, just divorced, she moved to Riga where she met my grandpa, as I call him, because literally he's been raising me up all this life, Vilnas Andresons, whose surname now I carry. And then over here, my grandma became the emergency surgeon for the Soviet Union. And oh boy... This is where the gruesome part of this podcast begins, because uh, it's kind of sad and depressing and very personal. But if you're not ready for gruesome stuff, please turn off right now. Thank you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. At the meantime, I do have to make another attention here about my gra- other grandma from mom's side. Um, yeah, she at that point during World War II had finished just the seventh grade, and she had to just stop her schooling at that point because of all the bombings and everything, and during the war, her dad and mom had died, and my grandma from mom's side, my Jewish grandma, mind you, from whom I can trace my Jewish heritage, she managed to avoid both Soviets and Nazis, but she had to take care of the rest of the family, which is about, like, four kids. So, my other grandma at the time joined uh, the, for- the workforce under just, you know, after, after seventh grades, and she she started to bake cakes for our Lima factory. If you've tasted any Latvian chocolate, then company Lima is the one that produces all of them, and she worked there baking chocolate cakes, and she worked there for, like, 30 years or more um because that was her like final workplace as well before she died but it's kind of strange destiny over there uh my mom my grandma from mom's side married an electrical engineer mind you uh who by the way learned japanese himself so that he can uh, translate stolen documents of electronics from japan and then you know would translate them into russian so that we could copy them we meaning the soviet union and grandma kind of helped him. Even though she had only a 7th grade education, she actually managed to learn Japanese, which is like, you know, crazy. But but yeah, that's a, a small tangent here. My grandma from father's side, Miriam Andreson, yeah, she, um, she served before going to hospital service as this emergency, emergency surgeon on a kukuruzniks, even though she was a urologist by profession and, you know, by, by calling, because she just, she really felt the need to cut people up, and she felt like that was her life's calling. 
And I remember that, you know, when I was a kid, uh, her, her and her colleagues would just come over to her place. You know, uh, where I live, by the way, now, because I live in that apartment which was uh, given to this, by the Soviets to my grandfather, which is where my grandma also lived. And, um, and I remember her, like, doctor colleagues coming over and they're, like, eating their, like, uh, cooked meat and whatever. And my and then they're telling these funny funny jokes about how oh well now and I'm like and he's literally cutting his potatoes this guy who's a visitor and like oh whoa Miriam and this is super tasty but do you remember the time when I cut up this tumor and it was like really full with pus that was a funny thing my three nurses got like all splashes all over them ha 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 and I'm a kid. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, yeah, guys, I'm, 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 I'm trying to eat here. <laughs> but the studies, they actually kind of make sense. Because, see, the medicine in the Soviet Union was extremely advanced. We really did have a lot of good medicine. We had a lot of talented medical workers, a lot of... We didn't have a lot of budget. We didn't have a lot of good technologies. Like I said previously on the previous part, um, at one point, you know, they ran out of anesthetics, so they had to use hypnosis, and it worked. So that is why I vouch for hypnosis. But um, a lot of technologies were obsolete. A lot of technologies weren't top-notch, but they did use the best medical science has to offer. And so my grandmother told me that, you know, she was basically assigned to this kukuruzniks, as we called them, which is a small biplane which was attached to... Um, which is attached to basically, you know, if anything happens in Latvian SSR, then she goes out and flies them you know, flies to the place of emergency, it's like, it's like ambulance, just, it's a plane. She remembered the most tragical story when, um, when a 10-year-old kid had jumped through a window of an abandoned building, because, again, economical situation in the USSR, where there had been, like, a lot of half-built buildings, they've been built from the outside with a facade and everything, but, um, but the inside was just not done. And then there's this 10-year-old kid who just jumps out of one of such buildings and just smashes, and he falls down onto the window. He just basically smashed himself through a window, but he fell down on the window. So he got massive piece of glass stuck in his urinary tract. They saved him. My grandma literally saved him. And I haven't saved anyone in my life. I, I have not saved a person in my life, but... Uh, my grandmother, Miriam, used to tell me that the fact that, you know, she did it was, was the most proud moment of her life. Another time, another time was when in Salbus, because she was based in Riga, in Salbus, there had been a hunt. And a person had been apparently, you know, just shooting randomly at wild boars. And uh, this guy had shot another guy's balls off. Of course, surgery was necessary. She managed to save his life, too. Well, not his balls, though, sadly, but, um, you know, what can you do, really? There were also studies about her, you know, driving off to random, like, if, if you're in the middle of the forest and you have a leg broken, then, hey, my grandma is the one who's going to go to you and, um, and patch up your leg. So I kind of believe her when she, like, told me to be the warrior and, and take everything seriously. After that, my grandmother moved to a regular hospital because uh, she she was getting a bit, bit more ill. Maybe it was because of the alcohol overdose, which she really enjoyed in her latter years, but um, hey, I can't blame her. 
over there, weird things happened because, uh, as again I've mentioned in previous episodes, people who endured World War II when a lot of people, you know, morphine and drugs were illegal. So when the KGB guys come to you and ask you if you will sell them morphine, what do you do? What do you answer? She went through that stuff because selling drugs is illegal. But if you don't sell drugs to the KGB guy, well, what if? What do you know? What if he needs that? What if, what if he's just actually, you know, gonna get you into more trouble for not selling them to you than you do? So she had to make all these moral choices, but apparently, I don't know, I don't even know how, but she managed to make all the right ones. She was never caught or anything. She told me that it was her own, on her own decision to sell to some people and not sell to others. So that's what she did. She also helped a lot of people get out of the Afghanistan war in the army. Because, you know, you had to have medical record on, on like, you know, you had to be clean and nice. But, um, you could pay a certain amount of money or, you know, give some actual meat or conserves or whatever to some doctor, which is the, which in this case was my grandmother, to just get out of the army. So, in a way, my grandmother really hated herself for, um, for kind of, you know, breaking the rules because she was a very rules type of a person. But she helped a lot of people get out of the Afghanistan war. She said if there wouldn't be a war going on, then she would probably, you know, just hate herself for that. But right now she felt like breaking the rules was the way of saving people's lives. Then you got, And she got a lot of presents for that either. Because, you know, after successful surgeries, which she performed, and, um, you know, she performed a lot of those... The people just, you know, sent her chocolates and gifts and, you know, the chocolate boxes were usually, you know, some money put into into them, which she kind of didn't even notice. And I noticed that my apartment where I live now, which is where she used to live, like, I have I have paintings everywhere. And those paintings were also kind of part of this all this gift culture. It was weird. She had her own moral standings, too, you know. She was a devout Christian, even in the time where that was persecuted, but... Uh, at one point, she told me that a major party officer came to get, you know, his uh, kidney stones removed. And he kind of had done a background check on her. And he knew that she was a devout Lutheran believer. And that she went to the church and she didn't really give... Well, I'm not supposed to swear her anymore, I promised Dave. But uh, she didn't uh, <clears throat> particularly care about uh, the fact that the party doesn't care about her religious beliefs and that they are persecuted. She was just a devout person, and uh, that guy asked her, well, you know, I will be watching you if you, if I fail. And then she responded to me, well, if I fail, then God will be watching over me in hell, so you, you better live on. And it's kind of crazy if you think about it. But the Soviet doctors had to make it with what they had. They had to work their best, and they had to make it with what was, with what was their due. That was how it operated. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because the equipment was terrible. <laughs> I still have like uh, all her old, uh, all her old like you know, injection materials, I suppose, all her old tools because she managed to save them up. But yeah, and when we moved in here, uh, it was one of the craziest parts about the whole situation because now I have medical equipment in my home from the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and 70s and I don't know probably gonna give it to the museum of pharmacy because otherwise I have no use for it if you think about it it's a whole history on its own 
but my show, my show is all about telling you the people's history, so, um, the story of my grandmother is one of a devout woman who truly did her job, and, and this is kind of interesting, due to the fact that she was a woman, she couldn't be a proper surgeon, she had to be a urologist. Now, then again, I've also heard stories about her removing the kidney stones, which were extremely painful. And then once, you know, just before her death, as it is her anniversary of death at this moment, she remembered one study where she spoke about her little sister. You know, I, I had my wisdom teeth coming out at that moment, but she remembered that, hey, yeah, you know, teeth coming out is a bad process, especially for a kid. So she remembered her little sister and she told me, well, yeah, you know, you know, she, her kid, her teeth weren't just coming out at all. Like it, it was completely light, but then they came out, of, uh, they, then they all came out at the same time. And, you know, she just basically went into the shock from pain and died. In the funeral, her teeth were all like little nice pearls. And I'm sitting there being 16. And I'm like, so that's how your younger sister died. Well, that's nice. See, I don't know, I don't know how uh, doctors work, really, but the sense of humor or the sense of, um, you know, maybe this acceptation of death, maybe this, this sense that you can fail, maybe this idea that you must do your best, but you cannot ever grow too emotionally attached to your patients, maybe that's universal. And hey, if anyone's of you a doctor, please do inform me. So yeah, that was the story of my now-deceased grandmother. She died while I was working in Ludza in uh, those times. I was really broken down back then. But um, one thing she told me was like, you know, after after surviving all the repressions uh, her family had to endure through Stalinist era, she really hated Russians. I mean, in the sense of, you know, xenophobia levels of, you know, Russians are bad people. Still, when Beslan tragedy happened, and if you hadn't uh, had any idea about um, what happened then... You know, just look at my book readings or the bombings. It was the case when the FSB basically just, um, just basically FSB decided to take care of a terrorist, uh, terrorist attack, uh, an assault, and decided to bomb the fuck out of civilians. And just, you know, due to the fact their counter-terrorist operation, um, like 200 children and 100 more adults died. Yeah, in Beslan, which was not fun. But yeah, my grandmother donated money to that, even though she told me that, you know, Russians are literally the devil. That because Russians tried to kill our family and whatever, she was one of those people. Still, I respect her. She was a nice person. She, she did her best. She saved many people. She forgave everyone, even me, for the sins that I had committed. And I have learned a lot from her. Like, really a lot. And uh, one thing is that no matter what, what will happen to me, I must endure. I must continue this podcast. I must go on. Because isn't that what being a warrior means? And at the end of the day, happiness truly is mandatory. But yeah, sorry for this shortened episode at this point. Our next episode is going to be a much more fun interview with um, with the guy who wrote the book about uh, Soviet jokes during the Stalin era, which is going to be recorded on the 1st of July and uh, published some somewhere about that week. But we're trying to make this podcast as best as we can. New style and episodes incoming. A political show is also happening, uh, happening soon enough. It's going to be pretty good. So, yeah, 
Thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing this very personal moment in this quite dark Remembrance Day for me. Do svidanja, tovarishi. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.